Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, if you guys don't know uh, me, if we've never been formally introduced, uh, my name is Corey. Uh, I serve as uh, one of the co-pastors here at Third Street Community Church, and this morning, it is my distinct honor and privilege to be bringing forth to you all the Word of God. You know, if you've been here for a while, if you've been here for the start of a new something before, I need you uh, uh, to, 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 out of your recollection, to rock with me for a moment because you know how excited I am to be up here this morning. You know, I'm always excited to bring the Word of God, but anytime something is new, you know I'm extra excited. Yes, I'm extra excited for, for so many reasons. For one of the reasons being we're starting something, we're starting something brand new, and everybody's, you know, it's a blank canvas. Everybody's like, okay, what are we getting into? I like starting new things because nobody has any expectations, and that's a much easier spot to step into when you guys have no expectations. That's wonderful, right? I, I love starting something new because if I mess up completely up here, there are like several weeks after me for us to fix it. There's so many things to like about starting a new series that I'm just on 11 this morning. So fair warning, that's my preface. I'm on 11. If you're offended, I'm sorry, I'm on 11. If you're like, dang, this dude shouts a lot, I'm sorry. I'm on 11. If you're like, dang, now I know why we have him speak less, I'm sorry. It's because I'm on 11. This morning we start a new series and it's called Shaping the Church. As we get into a new season in our, in our lives, right? Pastor KT just mentioned it. Life is changing, right? That's, it's, it's funny how even after you graduate and you decide to never go back to school, the start of the school year still shapes your life rhythms. Isn't that crazy? Yes, sir. Like stuff is going to be different in two weeks than it is today, even if you've got no kids. Traffic's going to be different. You know what I'm saying? People's attitudes is going to be different. Life rhythms are going to be different. They're going to be different. And so as a staff, we were kicking around this stuff. It was like, how do we prepare our people for, for a new season of life, right? Because this is kind of that sweet spot, right? Sweet spot or horrible spot, depending on, depending on how you look at it, where it's like, where it's like we all know that the change of season is inevitable, but also it's like August sixth it's like not quite here yet right and so we got this like nervous energy where it's like man I feel like we got a few more things to get in before life rhythms change but also they might as well change now right I'm the only one cool yeah I'm gonna be on 11 by myself this morning that's great so as a staff, we kind of thought that this might be a good time to uh to, to refresh some some minds that have been here for a while and for those of you who maybe have joined our family more recently, maybe put out there some of the uh, theological and rhythmic reasons behind why we do what we do and why this next season looks the way that it looks. It's guided in principle by this one particular shape, but there's lots of shapes, just ask me. And so that is why we arrived at the title for this series for the next, I don't know, probably like four or five weeks called Shaping 
the church. Our foundational text for this series is found in the Gospel of Mark. I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to the very beginning. This is chapter one. What I love about Mark is if, if you're a new, if you're a new believer, honestly, even if you're not and you're just like, I just don't even know what to read anymore. I love recommending the Gospel of Mark. This is why I'm a simple guy, y'all. I'm a simple, simple dude, right? I know a lot of you, most of you out there are a whole lot smarter than me and you like the complexities and you like the depth and you like all this kind of stuff. I'm a simple guy, right? Be direct. Is it yes or is it no? Did it happen? Did it not? Like I'm, I'm real simple, right? And when you read the gospel of Mark, Mark is simple too, right? Mark is like, like well, John is like, is, is like, is like people... We're experiencing Jesus this way, right? And Matthew is giving this like crazy, like detailed account, right? And Luke is justifying healing and he's, he's like saying all these miraculous things, right? Mark is like, hey, check it out. Jesus said this. Then Jesus went over there. Then Jesus went over there. Then Jesus did this, that, and the third. And then he went over there. And that's the gospel of Mark. I just gave you the entire thing. I love it. It's simple. If you're looking for a place to start, Mark is a great place, which is why when we talk about coming back to the foundations of our rhythms, Mark is a great place to be. Mark chapter one, we're reading just a few verses this morning, starting in verse 35, the gospel of Mark reads it this way. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, meaning Jesus, got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place and there Jesus was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. I don't know if you've been there or again, if I'm going to be the only one. But have you ever set a goal for your life or for a life change without a strategy? Like, have you ever just decided one day, I'm going to eat better? And then by lunch, you already on something different? That's every Tuesday for me. And I'm just being completely honest. I don't know if you've ever had a New Year's resolution and by January 9th, you were like, well, the Chinese New Year is a little different, I think, so, right? I don't know if you've ever tried to make a significant life change without a new routine or a routine at all, but I gotta tell you something up front, maybe the hardest truth you'll hear today it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. When I was 19, I had been actually and passionately following Jesus for all of about 90 days. About three months into my, into my actual faith, and it was like kind of haphazard, right? It was like, you ever like try to do everything all at the same time, and as a result, you do absolutely nothing? Right? Or is that just me living with ADHD? Like, because that's how it works. It's, it's, it's difficult. I was trying to like read the entire Bible and find a church and tell complete strangers 
that didn't know Jesus, that they should know Jesus all at the same time. But let one person ask you a question and you were like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know yet because the way that my faith had been set up and the way that my day and my sleep and sometimes my bank account too. And you know, you don't know anything. You don't know anything. It's, it's, it's a lot to try and do. What's up, buddy? It's a lot to try and do all at the same time with no plan for what a rhythm had looked like. And so for the first three months, it was like, it was like feeling, feeling your way around a room in the middle of the night in the complete dark. That's what my faith felt like. I knew where I had to go. I knew what I was on. I knew what I was trying to accomplish. But ultimately, like, I don't know, like I was just feeling my way around in the dark. And then about three months in, I was invited on this trip and I found myself in the living room with these uh, with these two British dudes. And I was just infatuated with them because I like the way that they talk. And so I was listening like really intently. And they opened up the scriptures and they read this passage that I just read this morning. And as they explained what was behind the scriptures, they talked about how Jesus's life, even though he went, we read it as if he went from place to place to place to place. He said thing after thing after thing. He did miracle after miracle. We read it as if it's just kind of these, cha these chaotic events that weren't ordered at all. And just as he went, stuff happened and that's just how he lived. And really what that is, is that's the dangers of casual reading. What we, what we find when we read scriptures like these tiny ones with great intentionality, we find that Jesus's life was in fact very rhythmic. It was very intentional. Jesus lived his life and was very intentional about the relationships that he lived his life in. He was very intentional about the way he stepped into certain spaces. And then these British dudes stood up and in this living room, they drew, they drew a triangle. And they were like, this is the rhythm of Jesus's life. And it was the, it was the first time as they explained his life and his balance that Jesus lived with, it was the first time that something in the Bible like actually made sense to me. I don't know if you felt like that this morning. If like, if like, no, 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 pastor, like I've really been on my P's and Q's lately. Like I've been reading and reading and reading, but to be honest with you, I just, you know, I don't necessarily know what I'm reading, right? This was kind of the first time that something in the Bible really made sense to me. And to this day, this is a principle that I visit often. As a matter of fact, it's provided a foundational guiding principle for our community. What they pointed out to me, and this will come to no shocker to you all, they pointed out three things. They said Jesus lived his life intentionally in relationship in three ways. When we pick up in the Gospel of Mark, in this passage, the first thing we see, if we had read the rest of the chapter prior, because you know context is everything. That's rule number one to reading scripture. Context is everything. You got to know what's going on around the scripture. You can't just pick it up, pick a random spot, and just start reading. Had we read the context, had we taken that time this morning, what we would find is that Jesus's ministry is just starting, but it's also picking up steam, 
right? He's just starting out. This is relatively early on in Jesus's ministry, but it's starting to gain some recognition out there. People are starting to whisper about it. People are starting to wonder about it. People are starting to, to go out of their way to, to go see it. And in the midst of his ministry picking up steam, Jesus takes time to go be by himself and pray. That's our opening scene this morning. That in the midst of the hype building, in the midst of this eternal train really getting started. Jesus takes time to go be by himself and pray. And this is remarkable for me for, for a few reasons, and I'll, and I'll try to go through them relatively quickly. But the first and foremost reason that this is remarkable to me is because he was God and he was praying to himself. How does that work, right? I'm not going to get super lost in like the deeper theology of that. But what I really want to call out is that if Jesus was 100% part of God, and yet even he, in the midst of living in this fallen and depraved world, took time out to pray, you got to feel like maybe that's an effort we have to put into. If he's 100% part of God and even he wakes up in the morning and is like, before I have the strength, whew, let me go be by myself and talk to my father before I can even put up with y'all's morning breath. Before I can even hear one concern. Before I can even make breakfast. Let me go be by myself and seek a conversation with my father. Amen. It also blows me away because of how intentional Jesus was with creating the space, right? I think a lot of us try to, try to justify that, that quick morning prayer, right? But it wasn't like Jesus woke up in the morning in his bed and was like, oh, okay, God, help me wake up because it's a tough one. My alarm's gone and I've hit snooze. And now I need to wake up. Jesus, help me. Jesus was intentional about creating the space. He went away at a time of day that he knew. He knew the guys weren't going to be up. He went to a spot where he knew nobody else would find him. He was really intentional about creating the space. It wasn't haphazard, right? It wasn't like I'm going to throw a prayer up on my way from my house to work. It was like, I'm going to make the space because when you make the space, you're also more receptive to be able to hear, right? It's also remarkable to me because I'm sure he was tired from the growing demands of ministry. The growing demands of people as more and more people find out what he can do. We read it in the scriptures, more and more people come out of the woodwork to say what's up. I don't know if, you, if, if you've experienced that in your life, but the more and more you do with your life, the more and more people come after your life to see what type of a piece they can get. Yes, sir. That's just real. That's just the way that the world works, right? That's the way our needs work. But Jesus, I'm sure, was tired, and yet, even still, he found the strength, he found the energy, he found the need to get up early. And this is not your annual lecture 
on how late you sleep in. I genuinely could care less. But what I am saying is that it was with great intentionality and I have to believe oftentimes sacrifice that Jesus created the space to get away from the rigors and the demand of the world to be with his father. As you go throughout the scriptures, you see that in any major event or in any major moment of Jesus's life, he can be seen praying, right? When Jesus, when Jesus is baptized, the first thing he does is not go get in line at Applebee's. After Jesus is baptized, the first thing he does is not have a celebration of like, this is what it means for us to get started. Here we go. The first thing we see Jesus do after he's baptized is go be by himself for 40 days to pray. That's the first thing he does. After most major miracles, the gospels will explicitly tell you Jesus healed. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus raised from the dead. And then Jesus was like, all right, you guys be happy about this. I'm going to, I'll be back in a little bit. And then he disappears to go pray, to go be with his father. When the death and the depravity of this world started to weigh on him, because even Jesus felt the consequences of death. Even Jesus felt the weight of what it's like when somebody dies untimely. And when the weight of death and depravity would weigh on Jesus, we see him go pray. We see him go be with his father. When Jesus is in the garden and he's agonizing over what comes next, I really don't want to do this, God. I know what's about to happen. I know what hour it is. I know what time it is. I know how this goes. I know how rough this is going to be. I don't know if you've ever read that passage. It's one of the realest things in all of scripture that we talk about and we honor and we glorify Jesus dying on the cross. Fun fact, he really low-key didn't want to. And he agonized with his father in the garden like, God, I really, I really don't want to, if there is anything else we can do, Let's do that because this is about to be really rough. But ultimately what gives him the strength to say, but if this is your will, let your will be done, is his connection right there to the Father. Glory. Any moment Jesus needed to find peace, needed to find recharge, needed to find wisdom or the words to say, we see him in prayer. So I have to believe, I have to believe that, that if Jesus, if Jesus was compelled to prayer that strongly, I have to believe it's probably pretty important for us as well. First and foremost thing we have to understand is that Jesus lived his life in relationship up to the Father. That's numero uno. Jesus lived his life in relationship up to the Father. There's other scriptures that I won't step into too deeply because I know what's coming up after me, right? Where Jesus says, I do nothing unless I've heard it from my Father first. My whole life, all of my actions, my rhythm, my daily is informed by what I receive from up. So church, I have to take a moment to ask you this morning, what is preventing you from living your life intentionally up to the Father? 
What is preventing you from having that deep, intimate connection with our God in heaven? What is, what is it that is preventing you from being able to have clear communication and prayer with God? Because it's probably something, right? I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking to myself, but I, I also, I feel like I stand on good ground to know that I'm not just talking to myself. Otherwise, God would have said, Corey, sit down. That's a word for you. What is it that is preventing you from regularly going to the Father? Is it straight up just your time? Is it just your schedule? Straight up, I don't have time, Pastor. I don't have time. I can't get up in the morning, right? Or as soon as I wake up, it's them kids, bro. You don't think I get it, right? Or you say, I'm going to carve out time at the end, but by the time I've worked all day, by the time I've taken my kids to their 511 activities and then gotten their aggravating little selves into bed, it's all I can do to crawl up in my own. Watch two Netflix episodes and pass out. Too specific? <laughs> Too specific. Maybe it's just your time, right? Can I give you a secret without getting too personal? Ah, that ain't a good reason. That's not going to cut it. Go ahead, get to, get to the gates of heaven. God is like, funny, I never heard from you. And you're like, well, yeah, but I finished all three seasons of Daredevil in like two weeks. So that's like counts for something, though, for real. Right? Ah, maybe it's a little more serious than that. Maybe I'm being too playful this morning. Maybe I need to come down a little bit. Because maybe, maybe what's preventing you from being able to go to the Father is a little bit of shame that you're holding on to. Right? Maybe it's a little bit of guilt or the improper view of God, you thinking that He doesn't want to hear from you, you thinking that you already wasted your opportunities. Maybe you're here this morning because you, you're watching us from a looking glass, wondering if there's somewhere you fit in in God's picture, in God's family, in God's scheme. And really, the only thing that's preventing you from praying right now is this idea that the world and that the enemy has placed in your head that he's done with you, that he doesn't want to hear from you, that you're not perfect enough yet, that you haven't laid enough stuff down yet that you haven't figured enough out to be able to have a conversation with him. Well, can I tell you a truth this morning? Once upon a time, God gave up everything in an effort to have a relationship with you. It is God's great intention from the beginning of time to be deeply and intimately connected with you and any thought that you have that causes you to think otherwise is a lie from the pit of hell. And we must, in the name of Jesus, throw those lies back where they belong, which is hell, and declare that I believe and I know a God who once went to the greatest lengths of all, lengths that I just told you he didn't even want to go to, want to have to go to, but he did it anyway. Not for his own sake, Jesus was already saved. But to have a relationship with you, and you don't think he wants you to pick up the phone? 
We don't have to wonder anymore if he's going to pick up when we call. We don't have to wonder anymore if he wants to hear from us. We know on this side of the resurrection that Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. Or maybe it's a lot more simpler than that. And you just don't know how. There's a, there's a verse in the New Testament that says even when we don't have the words, the Spirit goes on our behalf to advocate for us, to speak for us. Sometimes even when we don't know the words to say to God, sometimes even when we're mad as you know what and we don't feel like we, we, we know what to even say, sometimes just creating the space, staying silent, and let the Spirit go into work is enough. Sometimes it's not about the most eloquent words. Just listen to me pray, and he hears those. Sometimes it's not about knowing how to engage in a conversation. Sometimes it's just about creating this space. Because sometimes he just wants to speak to you too. As the main source connection that fueled Jesus' life, was his connection to the Father, so I have to wonder. We, it is important, it is vital that you don't just write it down in your little notebook and then forget about it until next Sunday when we start talking about it again. It is vital that we figure out what's stopping us, what's stopping our connection to the Father. I wish I had more time, but that's KT's job next week. I have to move because there's a second way that I want us to look at as you keep reading in the text. The next thing we see is Simon goes out and he finds Jesus. And he's like, ah, Jesus, here you are. Everyone is looking for you. I love this line so much. I love this line so much because it tells us so much. First of all, it tells us that the need for Jesus is mounting. The need for Jesus is on the rise. That people are recognizing, whether they recognize that he's the Messiah or not, they recognize that Jesus is something special that they need in their lives. And so when, when he says, everyone is looking for you, what he, what he really, really means is like a whole lot of people who have heard about you or seen things that you do or recognize the, the hurt that's in their own lives really want to, want to interact with you. Says everyone is looking for you. John 1 speaks more broadly about this, and he says that Jesus came into the world that didn't recognize him. What Simon is saying is that there were people after an interaction, after an encounter with Jesus, some people after just hearing about Jesus, there were people whose hearts were starting to turn. There were people who were starting to realize that whether or not I think he's the Messiah, I realize that he represents something that I desperately need. And he's calling that out. And he's like, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but more and more people are starting to look for you. But here's, here's what I love so much, right? Because what I'm picturing in my mind is that there was like, maybe I'm like allegorizing this a little bit, but like I'm picturing this search party of hungry pagans that were like, we must find Jesus. We've got to find him. Where is he? Is he under here? No. Is he in here? No. But, but look who found him. The people who found him were the people that already knew him. That the people who were searching but didn't know him couldn't find him. But the people who already knew him knew exactly where he would be. Let's see, it's this time of day. I bet he's out here with his father. Yep, sure enough, there he is. Don't skip past that. Because when you know Jesus... 
He makes himself known to you. When you know Jesus, you know where to find him. Why? Because he's with you. I love that part. The need was everywhere. All kinds of people in every town were looking for Jesus. And yet Jesus chose intentionally to live his life with these 12 dudes. I'm going to do a whole lot for a whole lot more. I'll get there, right? But Jesus is saying, I'm going to make myself more deeply available. Like, these people are really, really going to know me to like 12. A really small group. Jesus was intentional about the inclusion of those who knew him and would grow to know him well. Jesus gave himself in a much different capacity to his disciples. He gave himself in a much deeper capacity. To the world, he would teach, but to his disciples, he would explain. Right? To the the world, they would see his acts. But to the 12, they would see his heart. Right? The point here being that Jesus lived his life intentionally inward with a group of believers. Inward with a group of disciples. That while I'm not necessarily advocating that we all like click up necessarily, what I am saying is that even Jesus was intentional about there being a small pocket of people who knew him differently and more deeply than everybody else. Some of us in here, (laughs) Jesus help me, because there's a different kind of barrier here. There's a different kind of barrier here. Some of us, and I'm not going to talk about this too much, but some of us are giving too much of ourselves to too many people. I got to put that one out there for free because it's not in my notes, but it just hit me in this moment. Some of us are giving too much of ourselves to too many people. Some of us are so desperate to be deeply and intimately known that we're just for the streets with it. Like we're just out here. And like, if you show us even a little bit of affection, we're going to give you absolutely everything back. And that's not God's intention. When you see Jesus, he did not give him whole his whole self to absolutely everybody. He had a really specific group of people that got to know him more deeply. But some of us are so desperate for that acceptance. Some of us are so desperate for that type of communal living that we'll just be all the way out here with it and we overshare and we do it with too many people and that's not Jesus's intention for you. What was actually in my notes was to say, that there's a different kind of barrier here where we don't want to participate in those spaces because of our own wall of self-preservation. I got to ask you because living with a small group of people, right? Like having a crew that like really, really knows you, a group of believers that really knows about your walk, knows what you're on, knows the, the highs and the lows of your, of your faith. It takes vulnerability, It takes a level of trust in other people that our world has not taught us to have appropriately. What are you so afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing that is is causing you to not step into these intimate relationships with other believers who know your walk? For some of us, it might be our whole lifestyle. I'm afraid because if I commit to a group, like if I join a huddle, 
then like people at least for two hours out of the week know where I'm at. And that's a commitment, right? Let me ask you another question. What are you trying to hide? Like, what are you so afraid that if you committed to a group of believers to live your life with, that they would find out about you? And maybe, maybe more specifically, you're afraid that they would judge you. Listen, when I transferred to a Christian university up the street here, uh, for the first like six weeks of being there, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to anybody because even though I was young and excited in my faith, I was super afraid that some of these like on the, on the outside, like super Christians would judge me for stuff that I was up in like even like three weeks ago. And so I didn't talk to anybody. And that was honestly just Satan trying to hold me out of a community. Because the reality is we all got some stuff going on. What are you trying to hide? What are you so afraid of? Let me ask you, what are you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove on this faith walk? I don't need no other people. The church is corrupt and all these other believers and all these different interpretations. I got my YouTube, I got my Bible, and I got my God. I got, you know, I got everything I need. Who are you, try Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to fool? Who are you trying to kid out here doing it on your own? That gets you exhausted. That gets you tired. That gets you burnt out. That gets you dead. You're not going to make it. That kills your faith. What is stopping you from opening up your lives to other believers? Because here's the thing. I'm not just trying to, like, catch the tea. This is a rhythm that Jesus marks out. This is the way that Jesus did it. That while he wasn't blasting everybody's business all over the place, he was super deeply connected with a small group of people. This is why we do huddles, because this is an important rhythm that we have in our Christian walk. Jesus, even Jesus, realized the value of having deep and vulnerable relationship with a select few depraved humans who also believed. What's the wall of self-preservation telling you that's causing you to not be able to engage? And then the last thing we see is when they find him. Here you are. Everybody's asking about you. You coming back to the party? Jesus says, look, let's go on to the neighboring villages. And this is the phrase that I want to land on. He says, this is why I've come. This is why I've come. Let's not stay in our network. Let's not stay in our own town. Let's not stay in the small bubbles of comfort that we've started to create for ourselves. Because that's not why I've come. Since I've come for us to break some of those down, Jesus in scripture would go beyond cultural barriers. He broke ethnic barriers like constantly. Gender barriers all the time. Political barriers. We don't like to see those ones. Or rather, we love to see them and make them about our own thing, right? But political barriers all the time. Jesus went outside of the walls of what would be comfort for people. And Jesus would live his life in relationship with the unknowing world. 
He didn't just say, let's create like the Christian version of everything to create our own little world on earth to like, you know, have like a safe space to play. This is a, this is, I see your playground over there, Brad. I see that playground. That's nice. But this is a Christian playground over here, right? That's not, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus is like, let's go, let's go to Brad's playground, right? Then we get done with that one. Let's go to another one, right? Jesus lived his life in a relationship out to the world, even when his disciples would try to keep it moving. Even when his disciples were like, we're like, all right, we don't got time for all that, Jesus. You know, we got we to gotta feed these people. We got to get these kids out of here. We got to get them home. We got to do all this kind of stuff. Jesus lived his life with intentionality of like, hold on. I'm here to hear and feel the needs of people. If I'm here, I'm going to heal the sick. I'm here for the sick. If I'm here, I'm going to speak to the blind. Jesus says more explicitly, I came for the poor. I came for the oppressed. I came for the enslaved. I came for the imprisoned. I came for the sick. I came for the blind. Jesus said, I'm not just going to live my life with my little 12-person entourage, walk around, praying and preaching, but I'm going to be intentional about my influence in every space and place I step into. I got to ask you, is that how you are with your posture to the world? What is your posture to the outside world? And by outside world, I mean the unbelieving world, the people who don't know him. What's your posture to the people who don't know him? Are you being intentional about your influence? Are you being selective about your influence, right? If God has placed you in a particular job, if God has placed you in a particular building, a particular neighborhood, a particular spot, he has great intention for you in that space. The, the question is not, can God use it? Can God move? Does God want to do it? The question is, are you going to be intentional about it? Are you being intentional about your influence on the unbelieving world. And I got to tell you that if the reality is that you are not, then that means that the outside world is having more influence on you than you are having on it. And I also don't read that as a part of God's design. Even if it's just from a standpoint of like, well, no, that doesn't mean that I'm like on the world's trends. No, but you're certainly afraid of the world, which means they've influenced you more than you've influenced them. Well, no, I like to like really, really look like the world because then eventually someday down the road when the opportunity presents itself and I do share my faith, what's that sound like? That sounds like they're influencing you more than you're influencing them. The question is not whether or not God can do it. You know how many places and spaces I've been in where it's really uncomfortable when people are like, what do you do for a living? Like every day. And then, but here's, here's why I've flipped on that now. Because sometimes I lie because I'm not perfect, right? I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, a, I'm unemployed. Um, Now I've, it's flipped because I realized that when I do share what I do, I've never, I've never, never had somebody be like, ugh, gross. How do you even believe that stuff? 
How do you like, how can you even think that way? Your entire life is a lie. All of your friends are corny, right? That shirt is stupid. Shoes are nice though. I've never, <laughs> I've never had that happen. You know what happens? I say I'm a pastor, people freaking cry. And they tell me their life. They tell me their story. You know why? Because even the unknowing world knows that they need something. Even whether or not the unknowing world is ready to proclaim the name of Jesus and do all that yet, they recognize that there is a void in their life and they're looking for some type of hope. And maybe just maybe for just this moment, you are put in a place for such a time as this to offer a little bit of hope. I'm not telling you to go in there and try and convert everybody. I'm not giving you permission to take our, take our cattle trough and start dunking fools on lunch break. I'm just telling you that maybe, just maybe, you are in a dark place, not because God has given up on you, but because you were meant to be the light in that dark place. Maybe. And by maybe, I mean definitely, I'm just trying to be nice. This, this is the rhythm that Jesus outlined for us to live our lives. These are the relationships that Jesus calls for us to prioritize up, in, out. Jesus says, live a life in relationship and connection and prayer to your Father, your Father in heaven, who will not leave you, who wants to answer the phone when you call and speaks to you out of your true identity not the name that the world has for you. Live your life in relationship in. Listen, you can't do this walk alone. Talk to people who were hesitant about joining a huddle at first, then got in one, and now beg their huddle leaders not to take the summer off. I'm thinking of a few of you specifically. Normally when people are like, Pastor, you were talking to me today. I'm like, no, I really wasn't. Today, that's part right there, I am. You know who you are. Talk to them about their testimonies of what it was like to join a group of believers because you can't do this walk alone, right? Jesus lived his life intentionally out into the unknowing world. He didn't come. This is the, one of the most beautiful parts of the gospel. I promise I won't lose my time on this, but I have to tell you that he didn't just come for like one specific lineage. That's like so dope when you know the history of scripture, he didn't come for one specific bloodline. He didn't come for one specific ethnicity. He didn't come for one specific country. He didn't come for one specific people group. He didn't come for one specific time in history. He came for you. He came for me. And he needs people who don't know it to know it. And so as a result of us living our lives individually in this way, we also, as a church, have to model these things. Church, this is why we worship, and this is what worship is really about. Right, Rev? It's about our connection to the Father. It's about giving glory to Father. It's about having one heck of a week, but gathering with other people who know God to be God and saying, God, you are still good, even in the fire, even in the storm, even in the middle of the war. It's about coming together and giving it an acknowledgement that God is still God, that God is still good, and we actually believe it. This is why we have huddles. 
because God in and of himself exists in community. He's three in one. God, the only thing in all of creation that God said wasn't good is when man was by himself. God created us to be in community with one another and to be intentional about that community. And this is why we do Monday through Saturday the way that we do it. Because God said, don't keep it to yourself. Paul said to Timothy and so on, pass it on, right? This is not meant to just stay with you. This is not meant to just stay within your family. This is not meant to just stay good news for like a few of y'all. This is meant to be shared. So go, and in everything that you do, live with that outward intentionality. Pour out to the people around you. You're going to hoop? Don't. Hoop till your legs fall off. But, but live like Jesus while you do it. Right? You're going to eat? Dope. But make sure your table looks like Jesus' table and not like some of these other folks' tables. I won't be too specific. Oh, you're going to go to work. Praise him. Paul made money too. But go to work with the intentionality of being hope and light in a dark place. This is why we live the way that we live. Dang. This is why we have the rhythms that we have. So when we ask you, plead with you even, to participate in these things, it's not because we so deeply need your attendance. It's because we recognize that these are the rhythms with which Christ lived his life. And if we, as believers in this day and time, are going to live like Christ, then these are the rhythms that we also must embody. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for not leaving us abandoned. We thank you for not leaving us without instruction. We thank you for giving us Jesus, for showing us a rhythm, a balance, a routine with which we can live and as a natural and spiritual byproduct, see our lives improve. See your kingdom advance. See this world receive hope. Lord, we want to be a part of this work and so, God, we pray for forgiveness for the barriers that we have allowed for us to not live into these rhythms. God, we pray for forgiveness over the way we've prioritized our schedules over you. Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that our relationships with broken people have, have informed the way that we see you. God, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that our understanding and our unbelief has kept us from seeking your name. And God, we ask, we, we thank you rather because we know we are the recipients of your grace in that. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness to forgive. And so Lord, we pray, we pray for the motivation to live our lives well-balanced and in rhythm. Lord, I pray that when we wake up in the morning, we wake up with a desire to live our lives up, in, out. I pray that when we come home from work and the day's been hard, that we 
receive the desire only from your spirit to live our lives up, in, out. God, I pray that even as we go through it, even as we're put through the ringer, even, even, as, even as true trials are, are pulling out our real character, God, I pray for the perseverance to show the world, to show our families, to show anyone who is looking the consistent life balance of up, in, out. And God, we pray for the consistency in these rhythms so that the path that we walk may not lead to temptation or destruction, but may deliver us from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.